the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon and welcome into Woods and Water, South Carolina. I got my gradually darkening hair, blue-eyed sidekick with me. Y'all, I'm turning brown head. (laughs) It's not funny. It is. I want to be blonde. I, I don't. You want it, the only reason you want to be blind is so you have an excuse. Yeah. Well, guess what? That <laughs> excuse is not going to last very much longer at the rate you're going. Oh, I can die it. No, I'm not you're turning brown head. Yeah, you I'm are. Brown head. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just, just be glad you're not. It's not letting go. <laughs> oh me. Well, thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I like being on this, the show. It's, 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 I'm kind of getting used to it now. I, I actually kind of like it now. Oh, I like it too. That's good because you're, think. you know, you kind of have to like it. Uh, yeah, but I can uninvite you. No, see, that's not how it works. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. No. It's my show. No. It's my show. Anyway, okay, you're listening to 94.5 WGTK. And the answer here in Greenville, <laughs> uh, it, it is the Saturday before the th- th- Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is this week, and you're on the ride over here. You were going. I get to eat a lot today. Food, food, food. She eats a lot already. God bless food. But she's you know, got the metabolism that can handle it right now, which is good. Which is good. <laughs> but Thanksgiving, you know, it's always I love Thanksgiving. We we normally do a Thanksgiving show where we share memories of everybody, mm-hmm. and and that's been fun. I've done it with Jordan, I've done it with Mom, done it with my brother. This next Saturday, instead of you and I, it's going to be Eva Shockey, and you can't say who the special guest is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a good show. Keep my mouth shut. It's going to be a good show. It's not your, It's not what we always do on Thanksgiving. It's going to be a good one. Mm-hmm. It will. It's a good show. Very good show. It's going to be a good one. Um, but, you know, Thanksgiving you know, kind of takes you back. When you're around the dinner table, you start talking about memories and all that. And I might ask you a memory later on. I'll have to... Mm. I don't know. But anyway, there, there's, a, there's a video out there from the National Deer Alliance. It's called This Old Tree, it's this old tree Stand Could Talk. And uh, it, it kind of embodies what I love about Thanksgiving. If this old tree stand could talk, what stories it could tell about the bucks that got away and those that fell. It saw Grandpa kill the Big Ten back in 74. It's where he last hunted before getting too old to go anymore. It's one holler over from where Dad's first buck was found. He probably drove that spike all over town with his tailgate down. If this old tree stand could talk, imagine the sunrises it seen. Every color in God's palette, red and yellow, brown and green. It's watched bucks rub trees, heard wild turkeys thunder. It's had storms pass above and all kinds of critters pass under. If this old tree stand could talk, it'd tell you about Dad crying in its seat. 
After hearing the news, my mom was expecting me. As she tells it, he was headed out the door full speed. She whispered, get a big one tonight. We've got another mouth to feed. I smile about that and gaze at my daughter. As we sit in the woods with the rifle my pop bought her, if this old tree stand could talk, a patriot it would be. Proud to stand tall in the land of the free. It's been here while wars were fought far away, providing freedom for my family to enjoy opening day. If this old tree stand could talk, I'd ask it how I'd done. Not my skill as a hunter, but the man I'd become. It's seen my ethics tested and watched over my decisions. It's been the spot I'd go to to clear my thinking and vision. If this old tree stand could talk, my prayer is that it would say, You're an honorable deer hunter, like those who showed you the way. That's pretty good. That's what I think about Thanksgiving. It's 1974. That's probably the first time I ever built a deer stand. And my first deer stand was in the fork of a branch on an oak tree. And what now is the feel where the box stand is in the pine trees mm. and that tree actually died that tree is no longer there it was a big old oak tree um that was where our first stand was and that and that and i know people move and you don't get back home as much as you i am very blessed you're very blessed because mm-hmm. we have a place to go definitely uh, you know that where i grew up and i can go back and see that first tree stand <laughs> and some of the others that i had over there that are mm-hmm. no longer there it's just uh, it's just really cool at this time of the year to have that those kind of roots to go back to. 1974. We didn't have deer before that, really. Here in the upstate, anyway. We had a low country. Hmm. But uh, just a really neat time of the year. And um, I tell you what, we got a few minutes. Can you get in four minutes? A favorite memory? Ooh, let's see. Hurry it up. There's a lot. <laughs> um, I guess my favorite memory was when I killed my first deer. Um, that was just a time where, you know, I took everything that you taught me and used that for that little spike that ran out in front of me in the field. And what was it? 175 yards? 170 yards. So it was that. And that was just super cool to be there with you doing that because you're the one that taught me everything I know. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, hey, I can do this. Yeah. I was finally ready to do this and I did it. And that's the key. You were ready for it. Mm hmm. You know, you'd be, you've been going deer hunting with me since you were five or six years old. Yep. Where, you know, you had a lot in common with a Mexican jumping bean. <laughs> Look, I was young. Well, Give me and, some and, that's, and that's where you need, as, a, as a, a parent or as a mentor to a hunter, that's where you need to start from. You need to start mm-hmm. from, look, they're not seasoned hunters. And the hunt's not going to last very long. If and And they won't last very long as a hunter if you... You know, you gotta be still. You gotta be quiet. Mm-hmm. You can't talk. Can't move. I, those early years when you and I went, it was yeah. We I had a gun, and we never saw anything, and there was a reason for that because I didn't make you sit there and be quiet and still and all. It was about getting you outside, and but it took you. I mean, you until you were ready. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of parents. I don't know. I see an off some awfully young kids shooting deer. And I think, number one, I think we start them off with the wrong animal. I think small game hunting is where you ought to start off because it's you're expending energy walking. You're active. You're learning how to be a woodsman, how to be quiet, how to sit, observe, 
you know, that's where your squirrel hunting comes in. That's where your rabbit hunting comes in and and all. But so that was the first that was the one you liked the most, your first deer. Oh yeah, yeah, right. What do you remember? Yeah. What was the one thing that you remember from that day? Because I've got one thing I remember from that day. Oh goodness. Uh probably just the feeling of shooting it right with my like with my dad sitting beside me and you know, showing him that, yeah, I can do this. And the feeling it was when I knew that I killed that deer. That was just the best ever. <laughs> Sobering, though. Mm-hmm. Did you just kill something? Yep. But we had talked for years about why. There was no mystery about it. Mm-hmm. And you were ready. You know, the remember, thing I remember most about that morning? What? I had a headache. And that's why we <laughs> did not go sit in the deer stand. <laughs> Thank you for having a headache. I had a headache. Woke up that morning, I had a headache, <laughs> and I said, Taylor, I just don't think we can go climb a deer stand today. And so we ended up sitting on the back porch at the farm. And it worked. And it worked. It worked once before. Do you remember the other time it worked oh. before us? <laughs> Rainy Sunday. Rainy? It was not a Sunday. I thought it was a Sunday. No, we don't hunt oh. on Sundays. I thought it was Sunday. No, it was a Saturday. And and you were, I don't know, very, probably, very young, very like young. You're probably seven. seven or eight years old. And I remember you saw the first deer in the past. You're like, shoot, shoot it, Eddie, shoot, shoot, shoot it. She remembers. <laughs> and I said, this is a lesson in patience. Hold still, wait. That doe came out in the field. I said, watch what happens. There's another behind her, and we walked out behind the last doe. Oh, a big buck. A big buck. <laughs> patience. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate that you uh, you at least listened to me a little bit, at least on the hunting side. A L- little bit. A little bit. A L- little bit. Yeah. A little bit. We need to talk about the boy side here, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it is the uh, Saturday before Thanksgiving show on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Hang on. we got a few more things we're going to talk about. And then we're going we're gonna to talk to Felicia Sanders from DNR about Crab Bank. So hang on through the break. More Woods and Water, South Carolina on the other side. Headbanger ball here. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. You can't see the look on her face right now, folks. Typical teenage look. Oh, my dad is just an embarrassment. <sighs> the sigh. Anybody out face there? Face palm. Does anybody face out there palm. recognize so many times. the sigh? <laughs> 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 Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I got a few, let's see. I got a couple things I want to do this segment that are just kind of a little different than what we normally do. Um... Pure Fishing, you know, our, our we have a, a big company here in South Carolina called Pure Fishing. Uh, they had a story come out that Pure Fishing sale could be completed within a month, and then a, another article came out just a few days later that it had been sold. So Newell Corporation, Newell Brands, uh, it is selling off Pure Fishing to a New York-based private equity group in a deal worth $1.3 billion dollars. Sycamore Partners is a surprise choice of new owners for the business. It is an unknown in fishing circles and no, owns no outdoor leisure-oriented industries. Specializes in consumer distribution and retail-related investments. So it'll be interesting. At one time, um, they were thinking about selling off pure fishing by brand. You know, like Shakespeare brand would be gone. The Berkeley brand would be gone and all. So this will be interesting to see 
how they react to uh, to their first venture into the fishing world. But uh, yeah, the first one came out like a couple of days later. Boom, the other one hit. So that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I, you you kind of wonder because I have some. Well, Anthony Gagliardi has an Abu uh, real deal with pure fishing. So be interesting to see how that holds through the next few years and and what kind of tack they take owning an outdoor lady company. Um, I'll get my memory of you. I got a bunch of those too. Ooh, ooh, this is gonna be good. <clears throat> this is a one last. This is a one more cast story. This is a one more cast story. I'm scared. We were in Marco Island, staying on Marco Island, and this time we'd actually taken your cousin with us. Mm-hmm. Dana was with us, and we had all gone out to Little Quaden Island because I had my flats boat. So. I don't know if it took me two trips to get everybody out there and all the stuff because it's only 16 and a half feet long, mm-hmm. so it's not a big boat. It's a wide, stable boat, but it's still, I think I, I think I may have made two trips that day to get everybody and all the stuff out there. But uh, we stayed out there for most of the afternoon. Just it, love that place, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. The shelling is incredible. It is. And the fishing mm-hmm. is even better. So I had left y'all for part of the day and gone back into Johnson Bay and caught some snook and all. And uh, I'd come back in before di- before the sun went down and told your mom, I said, we need to get everybody ready to go. And so she started rounding you up. You were off somewhere, and your sister was, was off somewhere. I was Dana. off somewhere. Yeah, you were off somewhere. <laughs> and so I pulled the boat up on the sandbar and started fishing like I normally tend to do when I'm around water. And the, the snook were just stacked up in this hole. The, the tide was running out. We'll get to more of that in a minute. Um, and they were just in this hole off the edge of the bank. And the, on those outlying islands, you have shallow sides and cuts and all. And this was a cut. And it seemed like every time I plopped that swim bait down in that thing, it was another snook. You know, and they, they weren't big, 18, 20 inches. They were just fun. It's just one after another. And I just, you know, one more cast, one this more is, cast, this one is more when, cast. This is when. Careful. <clears throat> this is when you get out of control. Careful, yeah. <laughs> So it was just one after another. And I turned around, and everybody's in the boat ready to go. And I'm like, okay, one more cast. I'm a couple more casts. And I walked over there, and the first thing I noticed was the boat was sitting at kind of an angle. That's not a good sign. So either everything went downhill. That, that either means that uh, uh, you're taking on water or you're sitting on dry land. And we were the reverse. Pick one. Just we pick one. one. We were sitting on dry land. Well, it wasn't quite dry. It was just my boat drafts about four inches of water, and we were sitting in about three inches of water. So, <laughs> this was at dusk. <laughs> Luckily, I did have a CETO membership. And we're sitting there looking at Marco Island. And I know where the CETO boat is parked. It's it's docked right there past where we were staying. But we couldn't get that one because it was over the line on the Marco River. We had to wait till the CETO operator from Naples came down. What happened in the interim as the sun went down? What came out of the mangroves? Mm, let's see. Um, <laughs> the South Florida Air Force. Yep. You think the Low Country Air Force is bad? <laughs> the Southwest this is Florida. People. The Southwest this Florida. This is the big yeah. town. This is just north of the Everglades. This is where you can fit a saddle on a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, the mosquitoes enveloped us, and in a desperate attempt to save Taylor from the mosquitoes. I pulled out the, the the insect spray and promptly sprayed it in her face and her eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I don't understand why these things happen to me. Can somebody give me an answer? Well, of course, your first reaction is to reach down and grab some water. Well, it's all salt water out there, you know. Uh, 
So we did have found a bottle, think of bottled water, and and doused. I think we used a couple of bottled water to get the stuff out. But I remember that that realization as I looked at your face, and it's just wide open, and that mosquito repellent is just like going in your eyes, and all just horrifying memory. This is what happens on family vacations. <laughs> they are always an adventure. We do have some good family vacations. Whether it's mosquitoes yeah. or losing a tire off the trailer. Yeah, we lost two tires <laughs> off the trailer. Um, but anyway, so, you know, we covered you with a blanket after we got your eyes cleaned out. We covered you with a blanket so the mosquitoes couldn't get to you. And then we had to wait like 15 minutes before the tow boat guy got there, or Cito got there. He pulled us off and says, now look, this really shallow out here. You need to stay like 20, 30 yards off my transom. And guess what, folks? I don't have my glasses with me. <laughs> At night. Whew. Man, sunglasses don't do you much good when it's 9 o'clock at night. We made it, though. It's fun. Look, we've had fun with it here today. That's what it's all about. I have some more embarrassing stories I could have told about. Uh, You better be glad I only told that one. I'm very glad. Thank you. I know. Very much. You are. You are. Mm -hmm. So that's my thanks. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Next year when we do this show, it's going to be hilarious. We got so many things on each other. For sure. Uh, Y'all have to tune in next Thanksgiving <laughs> to get the full effect of Taylor and Roger family memories. It'll be a good one. Okay, this is the last shot I have at you before Black Friday when you start Christmas shopping. And I want you to listen to this. This is Richard Louvre. He wrote a, a couple of kids' books. One of them is Last Child in the Woods. And uh, he he coined a theory that's kind of taken off. It's called Nature Deficit, Deficit Disorder. Listen to this. What are we doing to kids? We're creating environments for kids at school and at home in which they are using fewer and fewer of their senses, that they're down to a couple senses, staring at that screen, using their ears, and mainly their eyes, to allegedly go anywhere in the world through the Internet. We're creating an environment in which I believe, by definition, they are less alive. What parent wants their child to be less alive? What teacher wants their students to be less alive? I spent a lot of time in the woods with my uh, dog. My parents didn't know where I was, but my dog did. Uh, uh, And I found something bigger there than my parents and their problems. I found something large. I have a bias from growing up to associate time spent in nature with happiness for a family and with health, particularly mental health. There's not very much research yet on autism, Um, but I can't tell you how many parents have come up to me and said, you know, I read Last Child in the Woods. We have an autistic child or a child with Asperger's, and we started getting our child outdoors more, and there's been a change. I hear from teachers all the time. For years now, I've been hearing this. The troublemaker in my class, when I get the class outdoors into nature, the troublemaker becomes the leader. Not just well-behaved, the leader. I hear that over and over again. It raises a question. 
what are we doing to these kids by keeping them in the classroom all the time, in that cubicle, at that chair, taking test after test after test, canceling recess, canceling field trips, all with this theory we're going to make a better child if we do that to them. But what proportion of the huge increase in the number of kids that are taking stimulants pharmaceuticals, drugs, for their behavior, what proportion of that huge increase might have something to do with the fact that we took nature away from kids in the first place? Nature experiences are in some ways just as important as anything else in a child's development, and they have a human right to that experience in nature. So nature deficit disorder is a phrase that has caught on, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't really expect that to happen, but it has. That's not, not a known medical diagnosis. Maybe it should be, but it's not now. I always point that out. What it is is a, a language to use, a way to describe this feeling we've had for a long time about that disconnect from nature that those parents, even some kids, told me about beginning in the late 80s and early 90s. Some of the most recent research has certainly linked uh, lack of nature in people's lives to uh, such problems as uh, vitamin D deficiency. Recess has been cut. Physical education has been cut in U.S. schools. What are we thinking? Let alone get the kids outdoors in a natural setting or taking them on a field trip to, you know, a state park. Um, we're having those kids sit all day. And sitting is the new smoking, and guess what we're doing to them? You know, it's, uh, we are. Kids are further and further removed from the outdoors. And, and look, my mom will be the first one to tell you, I would not have survived as a kid if it had not been for the outdoors. One of the two, my dad or my mom, would have ended my life very early. Um, <laughs> which was their total right to do. I mean, you know, they brought me into this world. They're perfectly legal to turn to take me out. Um, but uh, like I said, the last shot I get at you before Black Friday, Thanksgiving, you know, the Christmas shopping season starts. Where do you want your kids to go? You know? Do you want them to stay inside even more after they've been inside in school? Or do you want to find something to do to get them outside? We had the the last show was all about hiking. You know, I've had shows about getting them involved in Take One and Make One through DNR with hunting. Taylor shoots in the National Archery School Program archery thing. And that's that has focused you a lot more than anything else we ever tried with you. So I'm just saying, you know, when you're looking at stuff to get your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews and stuff like that, think outdoors a little bit. Take a chance. If you waste some money, that's fine. If not, look at the impact you could have on them and the rest of their lives. So back with Felicia and Crab Bank after the break. We'll finish up the show after that. Welcome back to Woods and Water. I just can't name that song. Gosh, aggravates me because I know my beautiful music, but hey, whatever it is. Faded Blue, 38 Special. That's right. Okay. We got it. I feel better now. <laughs> uh, back in, uh, it was June or July, I uh, there was a story out there about Crab Bank. 
And, you know, I, I fish a lot in Charleston, so I noticed it was kind of going to nothing. And and there was a story from the Department of Natural Resources. They were trying to raise some money to refurbish Crab Bank through some opportunities they had right there in Charleston Harbor. And uh, then there's been, been some big news about that. And I said, well, shoot, we need to cover that. So I reached out to uh, Lauren Breckenridge at SCDNR. She hooked me up with uh, Felicia Sanders. And, Felicia, welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. Thank you. Very welcome. Take just a moment. Uh, this I love working with DNR because it's like an onion. You start peeling, there's more layers and more people and all that. And, <laughs> and y'all all y'all all have great jobs. I wish I had every one of them uh, at some point in my life. But uh, take just a moment. Tell us who you are and what you do at DNR. Yeah, I'm Felicia Sanders. I'm a wildlife biologist. And I started with DNR in 2001. And I work on the seabirds and the shorebirds along our coast and uh those are the pelicans and the terns and the yeah. little birds you see on the beaches poking at the sand <laughs> taking out yeah, yeah bugs bugs that's right water bugs we'll call them that <laughs> <laughs> well we're um yeah uh biologist where'd you get your degree from uh i got an undergraduate at duke and then a master's at clemson and i've mm. uh, worked on birds for about 30 years wow so who are you pulling for tonight? <laughs> oh. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Boy, not only is she smart, she's intelligent when it comes to football. <laughs> Don't take a side in that one. Oh, oh I got family on all sides. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Stay quiet. <laughs> well, cool. Um, and we do have, you, you mentioned the shorebirds. We got a ton of birds on, on the coast. I love going down there because the variety you see. Uh, it, it, it covers the spectrum. You got the little tiny, I don't know what those real tiny birds are that fly in like little flocks that just. Yeah, those are shorebirds. Yeah, just yeah. some old shorebirds all the way up to the oyster catchers, the pelicans. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the great resource we got down there on the coastal islands and all the estuaries. Yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know it, but we have on the typical year five kind of estuarine islands where thousands of pelicans and terns nest. And this is not, you know, common along every state on the Atlantic coast. Okay. South Carolina is pretty unique in having five islands and uh, often, you know, a third, even maybe more percentage of all pelicans on the Atlantic coast nest in South Carolina. So the, you're right. There's a lot of birds here. Yeah. So we're pretty important to this thing, and and an important part of that has always been Crab Bank. Now, if you if if you're sitting at home going Crab Bank, I can't play Crab Bank. Okay, if you're <laughs> if you've ever been to Mount Pleasant, everybody's been to Mount Pleasant, Shem Creek. Uh, you know they got that new park walkway that goes all the way out to the tip of the Shem Creek. If you look straight off, just a little bit to your left, probably what did that be? Eleven thirty or so, eleven o'clock maybe. Uh, you'll see a little sandbar out there. It used to be a lot bigger than it is right now, but that's Crab Bank, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, you yeah. know, fished out of there a lot over the last 15, 20 years, and I, I think everybody that's been down there it's, it, over that time has noticed the Crab Bank has is, is pretty much vanished um, as opposed to what it used to be. And why? Why has it disappeared so fast, it seems like? Well, let's see. It hasn't been there forever. It was made with dredge material uh, in the fifties or sixties. Okay. And and then you know I've only I've been here about eighteen years. It 
since I started, it's just slowly gotten smaller. Yeah. And it's it's from, uh, you know, waves eroding it. Uh, and we've also had a couple of really big hurricanes yes. the last couple of years. Yeah. Irma last year just kind of did it in. Yeah. And so this year was the first year it was intertidal or just a sandbar and nothing nested on it. Yeah, because I can remember, you know, ten, five, ten years ago, you know, that's a that's a big birding place out there, and and um, you know they use that for nesting, resting, whatever else. But uh, what the brown pelicans? What else uses that island out there? Or has used that island in the past? Yeah, that was sort of the Galapagos of South Carolina. <laughs> uh, you know, up to five thousand pelican nests out there. Royal terns, sandwich terns, thousands of them nested there. Those are the pretty big white crested terns. Okay. Uh, also, a colony of black skimmers, American oyster catchers, a type of large shorebird nested out there. And, uh, you know, even when I started, there were some egrets and herons uh, nesting in the shrubbery there. So wow. thousands of birds, you're right, nested there. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of disappearing. Um, and I'll, But one thing I want to hit on here, and you don't, most people don't think about it, but I, I, I like to carry a camera with me and I have a very short attention span, so a butterfly goes by. I say, oh, butterfly, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But most of that attention span is because I'm sitting in a bass tournament waiting for a guy to catch a fish, so it's real easy to get distracted. But, and I'm not a serious birder, but there are some serious birding that goes on along the coast, and that's something that not a lot of people think of the importance, yes, to the uh, ecology of Charleston, but also for the economy of Charleston. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I often say that Crab Bank is, uh, in a lot of ways, our most important seabird nesting colony in the state, or it was, hopefully yeah. again. Okay. Well, I'm sure it will be again, um, because it not only has a lot of birds nesting, and, you know, that's important to sustain these populations. Right. But it, it's it's our only one that's very accessible to right. tourists, to, yeah. to anybody that wants to rent a, a kayak or take a boat. Um, it's, you know, it's not in big surf. It's in safe backwaters of Charleston Harbor. Right. And you can really just boat around it and watch these birds courting, mating, feeding their young, sitting on eggs. So you're right. Uh, there are some numbers that say that about 10,000 people rent kayaks, paddleboards, motorboats from the outfitters on Shen Creek. Yep. So that's a lot of people, but it's also a lot of money, a lot of tourist dollars into the Mount Pleasant Shim Creek area. Um, Also, there's a study that showed that $9 billion per year is spent on coastal tourism in our state. So this is, again, it's it's a real educational opportunity to have birds nesting right in Charleston Harbor, but it's also a, a real economic driver for the area. I would never have believed how much <laughs> how people follow birding, but uh, we get on to um, uh oh, we get on to Bear Island every year in February. Oh, nice! Yeah. Yes, get down there in February. February is perfect. Yeah, after the <laughs> after all the duck hunts are done, we get down there and, and the we'll, mosquitoes are gone. And the mosquitoes are gone. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. The Low Country Air Force is in hibernation. Uh, yeah. Um, but we go down there and we'll we'll snipe hunt a little bit if there's any birds around, which is really just a long muddy walk with a dog. It's really fun, though, and your work muscles yep. you don't realize. But I yep. think it was two years ago we were down there, and there was some bird. It was maybe its first or second 
confirmed appearance in South Carolina. And we were down there. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I tried to look back in my yeah, I don't, pictures and see it what there was. Rings a bell. I, yeah, I'm not sure what it was yeah, at that but, time. But yeah. we, we, we ran into people from the upstate of South Carolina, from North Carolina, who were down there because on some birding page they said this bird was there, and they were down there to find it. And they were asking us, hey, have you seen this bird? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. But it was some yellow bird. I remember that. It was a uh, yellow I couldn't tell you, but I would have never guessed that birding would have been that much of an attraction until you actually had face-to-face contact with people who travel just to see those birds. Yeah. I mean, I definitely am not surprised because I go to bird meetings and (laughs) I am a birder and hang out with bird folks. (laughs) But, yeah, to people who don't bird, it's out there. It's huge. Yes. And it's real easy to get started birding, isn't it? I mean, a bird ID book, it is. a backyard feeder, yep. and you're in it. Yeah, you know, and I really got started on the big birds, like the pelicans and herons, and they're easy, they're beautiful, and then you kind of, over time, start figuring out sparrows and the shorebirds, and um, it's a great hobby, pastime, and great exercise. Yeah, Absolutely. great thing to do. Yeah, hey, we're rabbit trailing, but let's get back to it. Uh, crab bank. Okay. It, it's it's it, no, look. I'm raining myself into uh, crab bank. It's pretty much disappeared. And if anybody that's been around South Carolina, Low Country, you know we've got a bright, nice new bridge down there. Uh, we've got new port facilities going in on the Cooper side. We had some new cranes come in for the Wando Terminal. All in preparation for the dredging of the harbor and the new bigger ships coming in. And that's where the opportunity for crab bank comes in, right? That's correct. So, yes, um, I think it started in February 2018, so this year. Right. The Corps started dredging um, the Charleston Harbor to make it deeper for, like you said, the big ships. Mm-hmm. They've deepened the Panama Canal. Right. So now big ships are coming our way. Okay. Uh, so Charleston Harbor will be the deepest port on the Atlantic coast when they're done. I think around 2020. Okay. Um, and you know this is this is big money for Charleston. Sure. Um, I, I've seen things about 75 billion dollars worth of imports and exports go through the docks at Charleston. So bigger ships, even more money. Nope. Um, and so in this deepening, they have material they have to get rid of. And the core mostly is going to take it offshore. Right. They have a big dredge that uh, deepens the harbor, takes the material offshore. Um, and so we thought, well, wow, could you put some of that on this eroding crab bank? Okay. And uh, the core um, has to, by law, go with the cheapest. Uh, way to dispose of the material and so getting it into the shallow waters of where crab bank is is going to cost more money okay and uh it's going to cost quite a bit more money (laughs) to get pipes and really contract a whole different operation to get um material not offshore but into the shallow waters and it's going to cost almost four million dollars oof so there, the core can partner with a non-federal uh, entity, All right. and the core will take 65% of the cost, 
and then uh, they needed a, a non-federal partner, and that is South Carolina DNR. Okay. And so we are trying to raise 35% of that cost, which is about $1.4 million. Um, and I, I have to say it's been just one of the greatest challenges but also opportunities of my career. I've been looking at birds, working on birds, counting pelican nests for years. Okay. And now I'm working with this incredible community I didn't even know it was out there. Uh, Audubon, South Carolina, Coastal Expeditions, a, a kayaking outfitter on Shem Creek. Right. Uh, South Carolina Wildlife Federation, the Coastal Conservation League, and uh, Ducks Unlimited and, and a few other partners. We meet uh, every couple weeks and really have just put our heads together and resources to try to raise that about $1.4 million. Um, so it's just been amazing. People have come from all walks of life to donate or contribute in a way they can to that that amount we need. Yeah, I saw there was a, what was it, a class, did a class uh, fundraiser yes. or whatever for it. I saw that <laughs> little article in the news. So, and yeah, that, right. And that, when you yes. invest kids that small, They'll care yeah. about that for the rest of their lives. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, the, the diversity of donations uh, I'm working with. I live in McClellanville on the yeah. coast. I'm working with a local artist who's done a print, and she's donating some of the money to the cause. Um, there's all kind of event at the museum, speakers. We're, some rock and roll bands are playing <laughs> to donate money. It just it's just been really fun, but yeah. also just incredible how so many people care. Yes. It gives me hope. Yes. It yes. truly does. I'm it not does. just saying that. It gives me hope. <laughs> well, the first press release I got so, from DNR was June 28th, uh, saying we had till December to raise the money. I got another one October 17th, said the deadline's fun, you know, is quickly approaching. And then lo and behold, on November the 8th, uh, the proverbial bottom fell out of the drug bucket as far as donations go. Tell us about what happened on November the 8th. Um, actually, was that Thursday or Friday? I, I don't remember. Last, well, let's see, last Thursday. Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday or so Thursday just, last week, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, last, last week, um, Boeing, South Carolina donated $100,000. And... Uh, I was just amazed. A really wonderful um, corporation, really just giving back to the health and the happiness of their community, um, investing in their community. Yep. And we're really grateful. Um, and then Friday, the very next day, I found out that um, the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation Coastal Resilience Grant Program had awarded us $700,000. So that was $800,000 towards that $1.4 million in two days. I honestly was in tears. Because <laughs> I, I, now I'm pretty sure we're going to make it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we've raised uh, over a million dollars now. And we still need about 400000 to go. Maybe three to four. Uh, we're not exactly sure how much the dredge project will cost. But... Okay. Uh, we're almost there. Almost. So and, and, just so grateful for those donations and 
A little bit more to go, though. <laughs> a little bit more to go. You know, it's um, yeah. this is a fundraiser. I mean, anybody can get involved in this. I mean, here in the upstate, all the way to the coast to worldwide, anybody can get involved and donate to this, right? That is correct. Yes. And, well, while we're talking, if you're interested in donating or even finding out about, you know, what we're doing, how much we've raised, I I hope next week when you check the website, it's (laughs) even more. Yes. You can just, um, yeah, we have a site. Okay. And it's called South Carolina Coastal Bird Conservation. And it's sort of telling all the notes and bolts of Crab Bank and why it's important, why birds are important. And how much we need to raise and why. And, um, you know, and if you, if you can't remember South Carolina Coastal Bird Conservation, yeah. really, if you just type in Crab Bank sure. fundraising or birds, you'll probably find us. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure so, they will. And, yes. and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, Giving Tuesday is coming up. The Tuesday after Thanksgiving, which will be the 27th, is Giving yeah, Tuesday. Right. And that yeah. would be a great day for people around. Hey, if you want to give something, um, you know, a lot of giving, it, it, all giving is good because, you know, Thanksgiving is time to be thankful yeah. for everything we've got in our lives. But, um, you know, if you give to whatever organization you like, it's there and it's gone. Something like this is there for generations. Yes. And, yes. And yeah, the core has, has kind of modeled that, um, yeah, that crab bank, Hopefully, will not erode for you know another fifty years. Yeah. So that'll be a lot of pelicans born on that island. A lot of birds for you to play with out there. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, well, yes. This... So even a small amount's fine. You know, just sure. seeing the number of people that have donated um, now over four hundred people is just it's just it just shows that the community yeah. cares about. Our birds, yep. and that means a lot. It does. Felicia, thank you for doing this on such, such short notice. Um, I know you're leaving until after Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great vacation, a great Thanksgiving. Oh, and, well, uh, thanks for the opportunity yeah. to talk about this. Absolutely. In a couple really weeks, appreciate it. I hope we tune into that uh, get one of those press releases and say, hey, we've got what we think we need. And uh, if that happens, I'm going to be down there with you some watching what you do out there. That's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. Felicia Sanders, yes. South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Thank you, ma'am, and have a great Thanksgiving. Okay, thank you. Yes, Bye. Crazy. What group? That's the name of the song. I gave you the song, Crazy. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I failed. Jeez, you can't expect me to I know these things. failed. Maiden, I turn off. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I don't know about that or not. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's my right. Uh, I, can, I can reserve the right to figure out whether you're okay or not until you're out of my house. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Thanks a lot. <laughs> what? You're welcome. For all that I do, you're welcome. <laughs> Including taking you to homecoming the other night. That's a first. 
that's a first. You know, your sister was really easy because she, you know, she was so focused on her schoolwork. And, I mean, she had some crushes along, and I knew about those, and I was crossing my fingers she wouldn't act on them, and she didn't. And she made it all the way to her junior year in college, and then she found the right one. You at 14, I had to take the homecoming the other night because some boy opened his mouth and asked you to go. <clears throat> I even had to go take pictures of you. Yeah, you did. It's called, that's. I mean, that's what you do at homecoming. No. That's what you yeah. do when you get 17 and 18, not 14. No. Nah. I had to talk to your mother about this. No. Nah. We have serious talk over the holidays about you and boys. <laughs> but that was the first. I, I will say that was the first. I had to, you know, homecoming with you. But you know what's happening Thursday. You know what's happening Thursday, right? It's another first. You tell me. Oh, come on now. Jordan won't be at home for Thanksgiving this year. Yep. Another first. <clears throat> One of the first you don't like to talk about. That's she, a big first. She's she's going to be, you know, she's going to be with the boy and more. The boy. The boy. That's about as, that's about that's as the nice name, as I can that's get. That's the name Daniel Paris has earned in our family is the boy. The boy. The fiance. We don't call him by his name. He's the boy. He's the boy. He's good. I like him. So far. Uh, Crab Bank. Good thing. We've got some stories about Crab Bank. There's stories all over South Carolina about us. Let me give you one of my favorite ones. I won't. We'll we'll save that one until next year because that's a classic. You want to hear my my Crab Bank story? Crab Bank used to be a shelter. I mean, you'd come running out of Shim Creek, and, you know, whatever was coming across the harbor, Crab Bank knocked it down because it, you know, it was three, four feet above the water line, the water level. So one night we were, I don't know, a bunch of us were at Shim Creek Bar and Grill eating oysters, and I decided I wanted to go dock like fishing up behind the Isle of Palms, Sullivan's Island. I love nighttime dock fishing in the summertime with a fly rod. So, I get in my boat and I, you know, idle out Shim Creek all the way to the end, and I get out there and it's, it's kind of windy out here, you know. But you know, I got up on plane, ran around the backside of Crab Bank, and it's nighttime now, so you know I can you know, the wind's blowing, and and I came around the end of Crab Bank and I took two waves over the bow, <laughs> the whole cockpit's full of water. <laughs> I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back and have some oysters. <laughs> well, I, that that was scary. <clears throat> I, there was the other thing was very scary for you. We'll save that one. Don't don't say anything about it. Don't say anything about it. We'll let them wonder for a year what happened out at Crab Bank with you and I. Uh, it's a good one. One of the reasons I quit tripping. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, came out there around Crab Bank, took two waves over the bow of my little flats boat, and I was like, yeah, this will wait till another night. Uh, my younger years, I probably would have gone on, but I think I had kids by that time. I had both of you by that time. So anyway, <laughs> look, the calendar of events this week brought to you by Visit Anderson Ground Landing and Event Center is to have a very safe and happy Thanksgiving. I hope you eat a lot, Taylor. <laughs> I'm going to eat my share. <laughs> and, and then some. I'm just saying. <clears throat> Hurry up. That mac and cheese is all mine. All yours. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Hope to... Uh, See you back a few pounds heavier next weekend. Make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. And don't Pray forget for the camera. <laughs> we'll see you next week on More Woods and Water, South Carolina.
Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.